0: You are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hail hey, you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And on today's program, I want to address something I said on Twitter The other day, a fellow Mizzou mafioso, ESPN's Tom Hart, asked, what's the best college football game you've ever seen in person? Well, I said the 97 Nebraska game, despite the horrifying ending. And I want to get more into that and also the hypothetical of what would have happened if Missouri actually held on and won that football game. But first, I do want to remind you guys that tonight at 8 p.m., Central time is Locked On Fantasy Live. Be sure to submit your questions for our fantasy experts at Locked On Network on Twitter. Or just watch Locked On NFL's YouTube page tonight, again at 8 p.m. live. Submit your questions then. But be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss it. But you know what? On today's program, obviously, we have to lead with something you've probably already heard about before and that's East St. Louis wide receiver Luther Burden is back on the market. He is officially decommitted from the University of Oklahoma. Just as a reminder, Burden, a former Cardinal Ritter player now at East St. Louis High, is rated as the number one wide receiver in high school in the entire country by Rivals.com. And to be perfectly frank, this Oklahoma decommit, it seemed like it's been in the cards for quite a while now, to the point where, again, people, when Xavier Simmons, when his flip was put out on Twitter, Eli Drinkwitz teased it, Gabe DiArman teased it on his website. Well, a bunch of Mizzou fans jumped to conclusions, but it turns out they were just a couple days early, and Burden is now back on the market. And if you really look at the tea leaves, you have to assume That Missouri is the leader in the clubhouse, again, for the number one wide receiver in the country right now. And that's because leading up to his decommitment, he's visited Missouri one time as an official, one time on his own dime, and then I believe a second time on his own dime, Burden has come through Columbia just this summer alone. So you got the idea that, yeah, obviously Missouri's staying on him and clearly he's listening. Another part that probably factors in here, apparently Burden's father and mother, you would assume, but father's what we've been hearing, is that he would prefer if his son stayed relatively close to home. And obviously that's good news for Missouri because the University of Georgia is probably the Tigers' biggest competition at the moment. Now obviously if Burden were to commit to Missouri as part of the 2022 class, well it would mark 10 years ago, The Missouri signed another number one in the nation wide receiver, Doriel Green Beckham. And in that past 10 years, hypothetically, if that were to happen, that would mean Missouri would be one of two schools, along with Ohio State, to sign multiple number one wide receivers in the country. Ohio State with three of them, by the way, Missouri with two, and then a bunch of other Blue Bloods would have one as well. So that'd be some some really impressive company for Missouri to be in if indeed Eli company is able to close the deal on Burden. And speaking of closing the deal, moving to the NFL, it looks like Drew Locke will probably be the opening day starter For the Denver Broncos, as of right now, he's probably shown enough in preseason that he's got to be the leader. Because, let's face it, if it was going to be a tie between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, the veteran player, former Carolina Panther, former New Orleans Saint, former Minnesota Viking Listen, Teddy Bridgewater's been around the league quite a bit. He's a journeyman, let's face it. A solid player, but a journeyman. So, if you're if you're Denver, and if you probably, in all candor, passed on Justin Fields at number 12 overall because you thought, you know what, maybe we have a shot at Aaron Rodgers here. Aaron Rodgers, remember, on draft day, he came out and basically said, I'm not coming back to Green Bay. Well, clearly that didn't happen, but... If you're Denver, you wanted to keep your options open there, understandably. So you know what? Drew Locke may have gotten a reprieve there. He may have gotten a little bit lucky. And so far, at least, it looks like young Mr. Locke has done enough to start week one for the Broncos. Of course, again, he's got to seal the deal because if he plays terrible in the last couple weeks of preseason, of camp, well, he hasn't he hasn't sealed it yet. So again, keep an eye on Drew Locke. Getting the week one startership is one thing. Actually keeping the job for the whole season is, of course, another. So once again, if I were a betting man, I would definitely favor Luther Burden signing with Missouri and also Drew Locke starting at quarterback for the Broncos in week one. But if you're a betting man, you need to go to betonline.ag because that is the easiest place to bet on the internet, and the one place that we trust here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And you know what? Here's my tip for you. If you're going to bet on NFL preseason football, well, number one, you might have a problem, and you should probably seek help. But number two, if, you, if you're going to dismiss that particular bit of advice, At least take the underdog, for the love of God. If you really think that you have an edge here on preseason football, if you think anybody has an edge here, I would have to disagree pretty strong. So this idea that, oh, well, the Raiders, yeah, they should definitely be seven-point favorites over the Rams. I find that completely ridiculous. So if you're going to be that level of a degenerate, take the underdog. And when you do, go to betonline.ag, use the promo code locked on, and you'll get 50 percent on top of your welcome bonus. Whatever you first buy in for, that'll be a 50 percent welcome bonus on top of it. When you use the promo code locked on at BetOnline, your are online, sportsbook, experts. So getting back to Tom Hart's question, my fellow Mizzou mafioso, what's the best college football game you've ever attended? Well, again, it's either 07, Armageddon and Arrowhead against Kansas, or the 97 Nebraska game, the famous flea kicker game that ended so horribly. That's got to be it for me, and you know what, I still lean toward the 97 Nebraska game in spite of Of the absolutely horrific ending, because while 2007 has got to be the best atmosphere, the most certainly the most unique atmosphere that I that I've ever been a part of as a sports fan, the actual game itself was just okay. It was a good game. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying it was boring, but Missouri marches out to, I believe, a 21 to nothing lead. Kansas slowly comes back, only to obviously succumbed to the famous safety by Lorenzo Williams in the end zone that clinched the ball game for the Tigers. But I don't know. Again, if you can just be objective and really look at this, that 97 game, that's as good of a college football game as you'll ever see. Not only did you have a historic bully in Nebraska and just all the history of Missouri – basically being beaten down by Nebraska for 20-some-odd years, whatever it had been, I guess 19 years at that point. That's just one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen. It was just a magical fall at ferro Field. And again, the fact that it was fall, a perfect day, you're kind of – I just – folks – There's so many moments in that game. You see Larry Smith starting to tear up on the sidelines at one point. I mean, that was just a magical college football game. It really was. But you know what? If you're personally going to say, hey, I can't get past the ending, and I'll I'll go with another game that I've attended, fine and dandy. But really what I want to address here is what would have happened if that ending was different. Obviously, it's not hard to imagine a world where, That ball just simply hits the turf instead of falling into Matt Davidson's arms. That's a pretty easy world to imagine. Unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. But hypothetically, what if that happens? Well, first of all, I really don't think that the Larry Smith era would have ended much differently regardless of what happened in that football game. But let's just stick with nineteen ninety seven for a while, because clearly if Missouri wins that game, knocks off the number one team in the country, well, suddenly instead of a five and three Big Eight season, they're now six and two in the excuse me, the Big Twelve it is at that point, or the second season of the Big Twelve at this point. So Missouri moves to now six and two in the conference, eight and three overall. Clearly they're gonna get a lot better bowl than the Holiday Bowl, which was a solid bowl, by the way. They end up playing as the 19th team in the country, number 18 Colorado State. Well, if you look, let's see, Texas A&M in 97, well, they were 6-2 and two also after the regular season. They ended up playing in the Cotton Bowl against Cade McNown and the UCLA Bruins. They end up losing that game by six points. So, obviously, if... Missouri gets to six and two, even though A and M won the Southern Division, and Missouri would have still been third in the North behind Nebraska and Kansas State by a game. I think there's a decent chance the Cotton Bowl would have taken Missouri because with Missouri having it was a 14-year bowl drought at that point after just knocking off the number one team in the country, I think Missouri fans would have been wildly excited to attend that particular football game in Dallas. And by the way, an easier trip for Tiger fans than San Diego. Now, for as much as I would like to believe that if Missouri were to win the Flea Kicker game in a hypothetical scenario, that they would take that momentum to push them to even further heights in 1998 and then avoiding the 99 and 2000 catastrophes, I just don't really see that happening. I just don't, because... For whatever reason, we, I don't have enough time to get into it, but Larry Smith's recruiting fell off in a huge way these two, the end of his tenure here, and the cupboard was essentially bare. So I, I just don't see how one victory is going to completely turn around all of that particular momentum and reality. And by the way, just looking back on that 97 season, speaking of momentum, it's pretty stunning that Missouri had beaten Texas – at home at Faro Field 37 to 29. Then the next week they beat number 12 Oklahoma State in Stillwater the famous 51 to 50 double overtime win. And then the next week they won for the first time at Folsom Field Boulder Colorado in many many years and also clinching their first bowl appearance in 14 years in that game. So again, that's a lot of emotion a lot of really, really competitive, high-level football that Missouri went through three straight weeks. And then a fourth week, they have to play number one Nebraska. It's almost amazing they had anything left in the tank, just emotionally, physically, the whole thing on that November 8th in 1997. So again... An incredible effort by an absolutely undermanned Missouri team, nearly pulling off one of the greatest upsets in college football history. And frankly, before this season, for me as a guy who was born in 83, so I was very much a part of this entire bowl drought for the Tigers, really, Missouri football didn't mean a whole lot to me before this. I was primarily a Missouri basketball fan. Now, get me wrong, I would attend the football games. I got into Corby Jones in 95 and 96, started to get a little bit of hope. But this was the game that showed me what big-time college football really was like and what Missouri football, most importantly, could be. So, yes, to me, after all these years, despite the horrible ending, the 97 Nebraska game still the best college football game I've ever attended. And coming up, I do want to discuss the rumored alliance that the Big Ten has been discussing with the ACC and the Pac-12. But first, I do want to talk about Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar ever conceived by human beings. Now, could there be an alien race somewhere that has a better tasting protein bar? Well, I suppose it's theoretically possible but I wouldn't bet on it. And in reality, we've got Built Bar. They're nine delicious flavors. So you know there's something for everyone. You know what my favorite flavor is? Well, obviously, it's Cherry Barcia, just based on the name alone. What does it even matter what it tastes like when you have that good of a pun? But here's the good news it tastes excellent, just like all these various Built Bar flavors. Low, pro- High protein, I should say, low calories low sugar, low net carbs, how can you go wrong? So go to builtbar.com. use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Ever since Oklahoma and Texas officially, and, well, frankly, even before they were official, To the SEC, lots of people have been speculating about which teams the Big Ten will attempt to add. But you know what? As you look more into college football and the whole landscape, it's not clear that there are any obvious fits for the Big Ten. Now, obviously you think like, well, if you could add a team like Oregon, well, that's a huge addition. But geographically, how does Oregon being in the Big Ten make any sense logistically whatsoever. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And even if you think about who could the Big 10 add that does make some geographical sense, a team like Iowa State, a team like Kansas, that kind of program, you know, I make lots of jokes at Kansas's expense. They obviously have a great basketball program, but just in terms of dollars and cents, we all know that it's football that moves the needle. So, in that case, Does Kansas really move the needle for the Big Ten? Or is it just now dividing the pie between 16 teams instead of 14 teams? Frankly, in retrospect, while the Nebraska addition to make the conference an even 12 teams, adding what was at the time still considered a blue-blood football program, a geographical fit, that made all the sense in the world. But in retrospect, I don't think the big 10 if they had to do it all over again i don't think they would add maryland and rutgers this time around you see back at the time of that previous expansion the idea was okay let's get maryland lock down all of those cable subscribers in the dc metro area same same logic with rutgers hey let's just lock down all those cable subscribers with the big 10 network in the new york area But here's the problem. Number one, as somebody, I haven't spent any time in D.C., but I have spent a couple months in one summer in New York City in 2004. And let me tell you, there's a whole lot of Knicks fans out there, a whole lot of Yankees fans, Giants fans, even Mets fans. I didn't see one piece of Rutgers memorabilia on Manhattan Island in two months. So that was a gross miscalculation by the Big Ten. And now, by the way, just this idea of geographic cable subscribers is not nearly as important now as obviously we're moving into a streaming world where your geography is really, really not that important. You can get a streaming subscription to Netflix, for instance, virtually anywhere on the planet. So at first glance, I thought, why would the Big Ten try to throw a life raft to the ACC and the Pac-12, because while the SEC is certainly the big cow, they're the big dog here, the big elephant in the room, whatever you want to call it, the Big Ten is pretty close. They're They're definitely number two, but they're a really, really solid number two that has all kinds of power and all kinds of money flowing into its coffers. The ACC, on the other hand, is stuck in a fairly antiquated deal with ESPN until 2036, while the Pac-12, on the other hand, its deals with ESPN and Fox expire in just a few seasons, in 2024. And considering how much that conference has sort of fallen off in terms of national viewership the last few seasons because of their deal, well, they have some ground to make up. So it makes all the sense in the world that they would want to latch themselves on to the mothership that is the Big Ten. But from their perspective, from the Big Ten's perspective, why do they want to help the ACC in the Pac-12? Well, that's when I had to think a little bit harder about it. Because if you really think about it, what is one thing that college football hasn't done that the NFL does every Sunday? Well, the NFL gives you competitive football games in theory every single week. The Kansas City Chiefs, even if they're playing one of the worst teams in football, you know that there's a chance they can lose. However, when Missouri plays Southeast Missouri State, there is zero chance Missouri is going to lose that game. Okay, 0.01%. Virtually zero, right? So one of the Untapped areas of revenue generation is getting rid of these boring non conference games and replacing them with interesting non conference games. Like, hey, what if Clemson was playing Michigan this weekend? Would you find that a little bit more interesting than Michigan against a random directional school from Wisconsin or, or whatever? I think the answer there is a fairly obvious yes. And while from a competitive standpoint, I can understand that a lot of coaches are probably going, hey, I actually like having some easy victories. I understand that, but if you look at what the SEC is doing, adding Oklahoma and Texas, two gigantic brands, you're just getting better quality football in the SEC going forward, just in terms of Interesting games for your viewers, there's no doubt about it, especially when the SEC is certainly going to go to nine conference games, perhaps even ten conference games when Oklahoma and Texas come on board. You're just getting better football now. So if you're the Big Ten, you're the ACC, you're the Pac-12, what can we do to compete with that? We can't actually add Oklahoma and Texas. There's no one out there that we can add that equals that. So, what do we have to do? We might have to come together, still play our regular conference schedules, but at the same time, maybe two or three intra, inter, I should say, conference games between, say, the ACC and the Big Ten, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That makes a lot of sense. It makes no sense for Oregon, obviously, to join the Big Ten and have to travel halfway across the country for every single thing, especially the non-revenue sports. But an alliance that has these special, once-twice-a-year, big-time football events, well, actually, that's really attractive for ESPN, for Fox, and is certainly a value-added if you're trying to purchase what those products, whether it's the Big Ten, the ACC, or the Pac-12 That's certainly value-added for all three of them. So if this ends up happening, and at this point, according to The Athletic, this is all conceptual and exploratory talks between these three conferences. But the more I think about it, the more it makes a lot of sense for all three of them. So with all that being said, hope you enjoyed that last segment on the business of college football. But tomorrow, we're definitely going to be a lot more Missouri-specific on this show as the Tigers having another open practice to the media we'll hear from eli and whichever players that we have access to tomorrow i'll have all the sound bites reactions etc for you right here tomorrow on locked on mizzou